Leftovers Season 2 Premiere Axis Monday is over. But we're just getting started here on Post Show Recaps talking about The Leftovers. Hello, everybody. I'm Josh Wiggler. I've suddenly returned to The Leftovers podcast with my friend Antonio Mazzaro, who always orders bacon on the side, separate plates. What's up, Antonio? Sudden returns is the opposite of sudden departures. That's correct. This is crazy. I mean, yeah. I, down is up, up is down. What's next? Cavemen? Cavemen. 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 Cavemen are showing up. Cave women. Cave women, even. And ca- cave babies. Cave ba- cave cave cavies. Cavens. Cavens. Lots of lots of caves. So craven. Uh, here here we are. Cavens. Back together. Antonio Mazzaro and I, after a long, long hiatus between season one and season two, we're back in action on the leftovers. I feel like it's actually been almost a full year since the end of leftovers season one in fact more than a year probably at this point has it only been a year it feels so much longer it feels so much longer but the leftovers season one was a summer show the leftovers season two is an autumn show feels more appropriate for the autumn this is around the time of year we're all getting super depressed anyway so may as well just have the leftovers there like don't let the leftovers ruin your summer exactly things are dying like this is (laughs) this is a things are dying show not a things are thriving show yeah i think so so leftovers is back uh antonio and I, we never really thought that we were not going to be coming back to recap leftovers. Once leftovers season one started getting really, really good in that final stretch of episodes, you and I, we felt really locked into the show. Some other shows have fallen off the seams along the way here on post show recaps. A strain. Stragoy! 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 Oh. Remember when we used to do The Leftovers and The Strain as a doubleheader podcast every Monday morning? Yeah, how did we not end ourselves? Yeah, <laughs> eternally ending ourselves. <laughs> so we, we, we ended The Strain. We're continuing The Leftovers. It's a show I think we like a lot more. Having watched the season two premiere, Antonio... Feels like we made a great decision continuing this thing. Three thumbs up, for sure. Like, Do you have three thumbs to give? I have as many thumbs as are needed, my man. Oh, my uh, God. This is, a, yeah, this is a very good choice to stick with this show because not only is it a fantastic show, but the, there's so much fodder. Like, there's so much going on. And everyone that's involved in the show is saying everything you're seeing is for a reason. Like, we're putting things here with the intent of them having an impact on what you're watching. So, we can digest or discuss everything that we saw, at least in this short time here. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So we'll get into the specifics of the episode in a minute. Just to set up what we're doing here, Antonio and I, we're going to be recapping The Leftovers all season long, all 10 episodes of season two. We're going to do these on Monday afternoons, Monday mornings, usually. I don't think that we're going to be able to hit the Sunday nights because that's when The Walking Dead is happening. And I'm recapping that with Rob Sesternino. Too much to ask for two podcasts in one night, but we can do it in a 24-hour period. So we're going to be doing Leftovers on Monday afternoons. You can get your questions into us every time the show ends, postshowrecaps.com slash feed back is a great way of doing that you can tweet to antonio and i he's at ac mazzaro two z's one r i'm at round howard you can tweet your questions our way and we'll also try to have the podcast page up already on sunday nights that you can leave questions overnight that's at postshowrecaps.com subscribe to what we're doing you want to stay linked in you want to stay tuned in on everything we're doing on the leftovers that's going to be postshowrecaps.com slash leftovers itunes is the link you can subscribe there it's going to be really, really fun. I'm really excited to get back into it. And let's get back into it right away. Antonio, just broad strokes, how did you feel about how this show uh, came back? How do you feel about the season two premiere? What are your thoughts on this first hour of the show? I loved it. I I mean, I thought that, look, The Leftovers at its best, as, as one of the episodes is called, The Garvey's at their best. Yes. Uh, the, the Leftovers at its best is is this kind of show. It's a show 
that relies heavily on emotions, on mysticism, on sort of vague spirituality that that deals with this sort of emotional apocalypse, that, as Damon Lindelof has called it, that happened, uh, that all these people disappeared. And for everyone, it was this horrible emotional moment, not necessarily some great world disaster that came from terrorism or something like that. This is a a, a, a thing that we don't have an answer to. And so because this huge thing that we don't have an answer to happened in the world, a lot of people are creating their own answers or seeking their own truth and doing weird things as a result of that. And no matter what town we find ourselves in in this universe, whether it's Mapleton, New York, or whether it's Jarden, Texas at the Miracle National Park, like crazy things are happening as a result of this crazy thing that happened, even though it's years later. And I think that the more we see of those things, and in their season one is rife with them, but the, the more we see of these things in a different venue, the better. And then you, you take all of that and you put on top of it this crazy prologue. What, what did we see there, Josh? I don't know. It was insane. I mean, we're going to really dig into that with a, with a little bit of an ice pick in a minute here. But I, I, that, that was crazy. I think just more, more broad strokes wise, you know, Leftovers was a show, as we already said, it ended a while ago. It's been a long time since I've thought about The Leftovers in any sort of serious way. I haven't gone back and revisited it. I wanted to. I wanted to rewatch all of season one before season two started up. I didn't have a chance to. I'm really interested in doing that. Now, I'm grateful for the fact that I don't feel like I had to just yet. I think that this first episode was a really great entry point for people who haven't seen the show. I think that it, it, it explains the concept of the show pretty well. I'd be curious to get like a completely new viewer's take yeah. on the leftover season two premiere and to see if that person was able to just kind of hop right in because they really they introduced a whole new set of characters, literally a whole new world that we're going into instead of Mapleton. We're in Texas now. And it's a totally different setting, a totally different environment. So I think that a lot of that baggage was left behind. But it looks like starting with episode two, we're going to be opening the door back up to some of that guilty remnant nonsense and some of Kevin's visions and things like that. Very excited to get into that. But I just thought in terms of, I, I don't know if I want to call it a reboot. I know that Damon Lindelof, creator of the show, famously of Lost, I know he doesn't want people thinking of this as a reboot so much as a continuation of the characters, a next natural step for where these people are going. But it certainly had reboot qualities to it. Yeah, it did. It, it, or at least reset, right? Like not, right. not necessarily, I mean, we have the same actors playing the same roles and we so we've got Kevin Garvey showing up, but we also have a very kind of like we have analog characters. We have uh, a fire person or fireman instead of a policeman. We have, and we uh, know that cops and firemen do not get along. We've seen that on many other shows, yes. from Barney Miller to Brooklyn Nine Nine, all the way down the line, right? Yeah. Yes. So yeah, it it is something that there there are, there are similarities here. We've got you know young daughters. We've got things that are happening within the context of the show. We've got a son who. Uh, is seeking faith through the church, whereas Tommy Garvey was seeking faith through a belief in kind of a false or perhaps false prophet. Like, right. there are these similarities between the two we families. Had, so, yeah, yeah we had ahead. the matri we had the matriarch on the Garvey side who has trouble speaking. We have the matriarch on the Murphy side who has trouble hearing. Apparently, yes, and the matriarch on the Garvey side was a therapist and was a doctor of that sort. Uh, and the matriarch on the Murphy side is a doctor, uh, like yep. a medical doctor. So, yes, there are. It almost could have been a reboot, right? It almost could have been like let's take this 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 family situation that we had and just put a different family in there but that wouldn't be the leftovers the leftovers is all about weirdness and odd connections and things that you're not sure the significance of and so that those things are there but we don't know if they're there to mean that the murphy family is really supposed to be an analog of the garveys or if it's just if it's just sort of 
kind of happenstance in the context of the show. But yeah, it almost did feel like it could have been a reboot, different location. We have the same thing that we have uh, in Mapleton. So in Mapleton, we have all these weird things in season one where we've got people doing things because of the departure, whether it's the guilty remnant, uh, whether whether it's uh, people, you know, uh, putting up monuments or things like that. And here in Jarden, we see we see monuments of a different sort and we see actions of a different sort happening and we can get into that. But yeah, it, it did feel a little bit like a reboot. Like, so it, it, it's not that dissimilar. It's not like a different show except again for those first 15 minutes. Right. Yeah. I, I really liked this idea that, that you just brought up and it hadn't really crystallized to me until we started talking about it. Just like kind of the parallel universe people that we're talking about with the Murphys versus the Garveys and how they really do mirror each other. And I think that that's been one of the pleasures of the leftovers. And it, it you know, it came to bear in this really brutal, explosive way in the season one finale where all of like, uh, I don't remember what they were called, but like the like the life model decoys, you oh, know, yeah. the, the 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 dolls that they were creating that were meant to represent the people who had departed. You know, that sort of like really weird, twisted reality of looking at something that is somewhat lifelike, but isn't totally is not totally accurate to what you remember. And I feel like there's a little bit of that funhouse mirror thing going on here with the Garveys and Murphys as well. That's a really interesting parallel. Yeah, I mean, they're they're not loved ones, dolls or whatever those things are called, but like they are. There is a very similar thing happening there and i mean you just look throughout the town and you've got somebody watering the lawn in their wedding dress you've got a man yeah. coming into a diner sacrificing a it's goat. my damn wedding and i'm i'm watering my lawn it's my damn wedding man yeah uh you've got you've got all this stuff happening uh that like a guy sacrificing a goat you've got like a weird uh lemon. so casually that was the most casual goat sacrifice <laughs> i've ever seen i mean yeah, outside have, of the one that you and i did in upstate new york a few years ago that we don't, I mean, we we don't really, that was we don't that doesn't it's not even scratching the surface. Yeah, but you've got, got like this Lenin-esque mausoleum over like a pothole on the ground with like right. a number drawn next to it. And you get the sense that this town that didn't lose anybody uh, is perhaps finding ways to kind of uh, honor or keep the the day that the departure happened. That similar to the way people in Mapleton were doing it. So, And you've got weird people sitting on top of towers. You've got... In other words, the world is the world. Like, things have happened in the world. The departure did not just happen in one town. Uh, and it had an impact on everybody everywhere, even if people weren't lost. And I think we see that in Jarden as well. So I do like that they, they did a, a just kind of a fantastic job of taking you from one small town to another so that it almost does feel like a reboot. But there there's just something simmering lurking under the surface that is a season worth of simmer from the first season that it, it carries through into what is not a true reboot because we're keeping so much of the same source. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, even before we get into the, the cavemen of it all, uh, I think what's, what's interesting is the leftovers, it, it relocated. We're, we're done with Mapleton. I don't think we're totally done with Mapleton. It seems like we'll get a little bit of Mapleton in the relocation of the characters from there to Texas, to Jarden, Texas. Yep. Uh, so I think we'll get a little bit of that. But the show really is turning its back on a lot of that stuff uh, from not, not just from the setting, but from the opening credits. The opening credits are completely different. It's an Iris Dement song called Let the Mystery Be. It's, you know, we had this really grim sort of holy, biblical, very ominous, very scary sort of opening credits that felt a little strange, even at the time. It just felt very intense. And there's this, I, I don't want to say whimsical, but there's a lighter quality to the opening credits and still a lot of the pain that you get from the leftovers now 
with, you know, the, these images of people in the water and people all around uh, Miracle National Park. And there's just like the images of certain people being gone, uh, just like silhouettes and shadows. So I think just from the opening credits right away, a new tone is being set for the show. And I really like what they're painting there. I think it's really good stuff. I agree. I love Iris Dement first and foremost. Uh, she's fantastic. But uh, I did not expect uh, such a lighthearted kind of I wouldn't say fun, uh, but I would say bright uh, credit sequence as, as opposed to last season's fresco-based kind of terrifying, uh, just emotional welling, like two-minute cry fest. Like, I don't right. know. This was the complete opposite, and it showed people departing and disappearing, or it showed how people who had once been were gone. Uh, but it didn't do it in a way that I think – the first season had these frescoes of people actually floating into the air and the terrified looks on their faces and things like this. And this was more, I think, kind of like any any departure could have happened. It could have been that one of those people just died, or that it was it was family photos where one of the people in the photo had had passed away, uh, and we were saying let 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 let's let the mystery be is what the song is, right? So right, like let's let's let that happen and continue with our lives or whatever. And I and I think that 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 sort of theme was great, but I think. As soon as you got the soundscape and the sound design of the season, I think we're we're straight up in season one territory in terms of atmosphere and feeling. Even though there are some scenes, like you said, of people swimming and having fun and all that, the, there are a lot of scenes that are really just the way the sound design and the score is coming in. Right. Uh, they're, it's just season one. It's just well, dark and mystical and, and kind of very uh, un, uneasy. Yeah, I mean, I felt really locked back into the Leftovers world as soon as, like, you got that Max Richter score coming back in right. for the first time in a while. Right. Uh, like, I hadn't even really thought about that music in forever, and I forgot about how closely associated with, like, the feelings of loss and and pain and something, you know, just like a lot of longing that comes with that music, and it really comes right back in. At some point in the caveman scene, I think, toward the end of it is when you hear it for the first time, yep. and it's finally like, oh, okay, so I remember what show watching because as we've been alluding to and i think now we can dive into the show starts season two starts where are we what when are we it's very it's very and here we go let's just let's lost. just go right in with it it's lost. very lost yeah it's it's very lost it's very across the sea it's very much a let's take a look back at what happened in miracle long before it became miracle national park uh and we have this woman who is from i would assume prehistoric times who is pregnant uh, super, super, super pregnant, ready to pop pregnant, as we are about to see. She leaves the cave. She goes for a midnight pee, as you do. And there's a cave-in that kills all of her people. And she's forced to give birth to her baby right there on the spot by herself. And it's such an intense, out-of-this-world sort of scene that, that kicks us off here in Leftover Season 2 that I really was not expecting at all and had no idea what to make of it for the first few minutes. Yeah, I mean, I think I texted you 10 minutes in, and I said, what the hell am I watching? Like, what is going on here? And I was like, oh, you're watching Fear the Walking Dead? And I said, oh, sorry. No, I'm not. I'm not watching Fear the Walking Dead, no. Yeah, and you said, enjoy it when you get to it. And I did, and I was very confused, and there was nothing you could have said outside of, you know, describing the scene that would have prepared me for the weirdness. Well, you know, you mentioned Lost, the beginning of season two, Man of Science, Man of Faith, takes place, and I, I, I won't spoil it. It, but most people probably have seen it, but you, you're you end season one in one way, and then you begin season two, and you're like, "Where am I?" It's very disorienting. You're not sure when you are. There's kind of older music playing, but you see new appliances. You you just don't have this great sense of place or time, and then you realize that you're in a place that you that you are somewhat familiar with. And I think that that's sort of what happened here. We had this caveman scene 
we had this woman and her baby and the snake and the poison, and she even sees smoke on the horizon, Josh. She sees right. others. Like others. she sees others, others, others. She sees something others. going on. She doesn't know exactly what it is. And, and then she dies, and then we pan over her body. That's when the score starts, when we're like, after her baby has been taken by another right. cave woman, and we sort of pan over her dead body, and we see scars on her leg, and we see her arm and all this. Then that's when the music starts, and we realize we're in modern-day Americal, Texas, uh, Jarden, Texas. We're on a national park, and we're there with three young girls, you know, swimming and playing pop music and having a good time. So it is, it is I think, clearly meant to be the same place, right? Yes, like this yes, is clearly 100%. meant to be the same place. Time, obviously not the same time. It didn't happen the night before or whatever. I think one of the important things that it sets up uh, that I think the show otherwise would not have, without the scene, would not have been clear is that these earthquakes that are happening in the town uh, are, are not due to fracking, as one character during this episode kind of says. Like, damn frackers, like it's not fracking. These have been happening for throughout history. Yeah, uh, and they they created a leftover, a departed type situation for that poor cave woman. Like she would more have traditional known. sense, but yeah, yeah, she wouldn't have known. It would have been just as mystical to her uh, because right. she wouldn't have known what causes an earthquake, and she wouldn't have known about tectonic plates and seismic shifts and stuff like that. So it would have been just as like mystical a thing to her uh, what happened with the cave. So I don't know. It, it's 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 very interesting. There's this the, the title of the episode is Axis Mundi. Right. Yes. Correct. And do we know what that exactly, or do we know what what the uh, what the meaning of Axis Mundi is? Or I mean, I know what the concept is, but I'm not sure what the literal translation is. But um, it's just basically like a cosmic axis, a center of the world, if you will. Um, certain mystical beliefs or religious beliefs are that there are these Axis Mundis, or there were these Axis Mundis across the world uh, that were essentially a connection, like a special mystical point. Right. Between, you know, heaven and earth, between other places, uh, like the, there were pillars of the world. Like this is what these these very key places are. Magical hotspot. Magical hotspots. And I think that that is more than anything what we're meant to get about Jarden, Texas, that this it isn't just a lucky thing that no one from this town disappeared. This is a this is an, a, a lot. There's something going on with this spot in this season of this show to the extent it takes place in Miracle, Miracle is going to be just as much a character uh, and it's going to be just as important to the story as the characters themselves. Yeah, I'm really excited about Miracle. I think there's a lot going on there. We'll be able to get into it the more we dive into this episode. Uh, but the Axis Monday thing, I think it's a good opportunity for you to call out um, this this uh, this article on Vulture that I think people who aren't aware of it are going to get a lot out of. Do you want to, do you want to tell people what you sent to me earlier today? Yeah, so there's a, one of the advisors on Leftover Season 2, uh, Spirit, the spiritual kind of advisor is this author, the holy the holy Wayne of the writing room the holy Wayne of the writing room indeed he hugs everyone when he comes in and then he that tells seems them like a real weird. insult to somebody he also then takes their their handprint and he tells them what's going to happen he gives them the little finger paint action and then no he, that that's the Eddie Winslow of the writing oh sorry room. yes that is yeah. the Eddie Winslow of the writing room I apologize yes. did I do that yeah did I do that yeah why didn't Urkel come out of the house with a fireman's he, uniform on because he, he was suddenly departed yeah oh did we lose Urkel yeah along with the the middle winslow sister and that's where she went oh no yeah, that's what happened to jamie foxworth anyway uh, we'll get it that's all that's what happened i yeah, got yeah, yeah. it i got it okay that's fine did we did we lose stefan or kel as well no no stefan he's in a car commercial right now okay that's good that's yeah. good no uh so one of the writers one of the advisors on the show this season 
is this uh, the spiritual writer named Reza Aslan. Reza Aslan is a, is probably most famous uh, in the internet lore as this. Uh, he's a Muslim writer who wrote a book about Jesus called Zealot. Uh, that was a bestseller a couple years ago. He went on Fox News to talk about the book and got in a huge fight uh, with the the anchor on Fox News, and that went viral. So that's probably where he made his biggest internet fame. He's done some uh, other writings about uh, about Islam that are really good. He wrote a book called No God But God that I read, which was excellent. And Zealot is also a really good book about the sort of historical Jesus and what we know about Jesus and what we can maybe divine from that. Because he's this, Reza Aslan is a spiritual historian, essentially. And so he, he gave a great kind of uh, interview with Vulture where he talked about, and I think he's going to be doing this after every episode or, or a lot of episodes, where he talked about the spiritual or mystical elements of this first episode. And he gets into the concept of the Axis Mundi, the places on the planet that are cosmic poles, the things like that. Think about like the pyramids at Giza or the Great Temple in Jerusalem or the Kaaba in Mecca. Like these are Axis Mundis. These are places that were, you build the temple in Jerusalem not because, and it doesn't become holy because the temple is there. The interesting thing about all these places is, the reason things were built there is because they already had some sort of sacred element to them. It's the island. It's the island. It is It is the island from Lost. It is a place that is already great and already has some sort of spiritual or mystic power that we then build on and we assign even more spiritual power because of the things that we've built on it. And right. I think that that's where we're, what we're supposed to assume that, that Jarden and Miracle are is this was a sacred area already for one reason or another. Uh, and or or this weird kind of mystical area already, um, and then we they built a, the town on it, and it doesn't stop becoming a mystical area because they built a town on it. And I think yeah. that that's kind of what we're getting at here. Yeah, I think so too. And so just like to to even talk about this this first scene with the cave woman and the baby, and she dies, and another cave woman comes along and finds the baby. And this article you're talking about, uh, this this comes up. Reza Aslan has asked about this. It's a a question from the author is Lisa Liebman, and Lisa says, "Is there a parallel between the Eve-like woman in the prologue, whose baby is rescued by another woman, and Nora finding Holy Wayne's baby on the Garvey's doorstep at the end of season one?" And he says, "Very much so." Everything that happens, the symbolism is quite deliberate. You should read something into everything you see. That's a really uh, that's a that's a high level uh, command of how you should be interpreting this show. Is every single thing you see has meaning? Everything yeah. is deliberate. That's those are that's a very high high stakes. I feel like yeah, and I mean so like the 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 cave woman that we saw we we saw a necklace that she was wearing with a feather we saw a couple things we saw mainly though she had she had these horrible scratches on like her left thigh like it looked like she'd been mauled by some kind of beast and I immediately if if we've got parallels here I'm like did that happen uh, with uh, you know with Holy Wayne's baby or I mean are there other parallels there so. Even little stuff like that, I'm, I'm, I'm meant to. I think we're meant to wonder, like, okay, is this connected to something else? So, right, that is. I mean, that's an interesting marching order, like you said. But I, I, there, and as a result of that, there are some scenes in this episode which have me just totally bum puzzled, as they like to say. 
Yeah, they do like to say that. Yes. Uh, but we go we go right from this moment where, where the woman dies and another woman takes the baby and the camera pans out. And as you already mentioned, we see Evie and her friends. They're going swimming and she meets Dr. Goodhart. Is that even really your name? And it's this big moment where they're swimming in this water that we know by the end of the episode is going to be dry. Uh, the, there's not going to be a single drop left. The fish are just going to be, you know, flipping around. Um, so it's a really interesting contrast with this very lighthearted and jovial scene in the beginning of the episode that is going to take a really grim and dark turn by the end of the hour. Yeah. Uh, I think that's, I mean, I, that's absolutely right. And, and it is again, this set there's, there was loss that occurred at that place. Not only did that cave kind of kill a bunch of people, but the, the woman died. Uh, and we don't know what happened with that baby. Did that baby, did that baby grow up to be like some sort of spiritual leader? And this was the sort of origin story of that, you know, like Moses being found on a river or something like that. It's right. entirely possible. Uh, so things have happened at that very spot in the past. We see that right away. Um, before we move on from that caveman prologue, uh, I want to say one of the very interesting links that Damon Lindelof has mentioned, uh, and where Reza Eslan gets into this too, is that they the, the, one of the big ideas behind crafting that particular prologue came from the Coen brothers, A Serious Man. Have you seen that movie, Josh? I actually haven't seen it, no. Oh, it is – it was a fan, it's a fantastic movie, but it is not a necessarily accessible one. There's a right. lot of, that you have to read into it. It's about kind of this man growing up uh, in, in struggling with uh, his, his, uh, his Jewish faith in, um, in Minneapolis. So it's a very kind of personal – or suburban Minneapolis. So it's kind of a very personal movie to the Coen brothers. It's, it takes place in an era that they would have grown up with. Uh, but the beginning of the movie is is a story. It's just this weird story that's in Yiddish. It's a folk tale. It, it is not in any way connected to the story on a direct level. It's a story about this horrible thing that happened uh, where this this uh, it's about a golem. It's about a golem, and, and it's about something that happened, and it is not connected to the story in any way other than thematically. Uh, and they were really – Damon Lindelof was really – and Tom Perotta and, and Reza were all very interested in that particular scene – and how it tied in thematically, if not directly. And that that opening of A Serious Man is fantastic. Like, yeah. it's, it's great. And I think that this, this prologue is meant especially not just to tie in in terms of sense of place, but I think also thematically. And I think that that's something we can't lose sight of. And as you point out, this is a site where horrible things have happened by the end of the episode, but horrible things have also happened on that site in the past. Right. And so the question is, I guess, thematically is this a good place or a bad place the water that's there people want to they want to steal it there's signs up everywhere as we see the girls getting back into the car that say you know people who remove water from here non-residents will be prosecuted the water's for residents only because we get the sense almost immediately if you drink that water do you become the protector of miracle national park oh that's exactly what happens and then there's a warm gold glow that comes out of the cave it all happens yeah yeah no, but I, I think there's a sense that like people – you get right away this sense that this is a special place that people would try to destroy or people would try to assign value that would destroy it. And I think that that is – it doesn't necessarily mean that it's good or bad. And we get a very bad thing, as you point out, by the end of the episode uh, in a place where something very fun was happening before that. And if Dr. Goodhart is truly a doctor, he's got his visitor bracelet on, his yellow visitor bracelet uh, he's testing the water. I don't know why, what, what kind of test he's doing, but this is something that people are interested in, this space, this place, this water. So this is, not, uh, this is a unique thing that's happening. This is not just any creek or any river. 
Yeah, and just thinking about the themes of it and, and forecasting a little bit more into this episode is you have this opening parable, if you want to call it that, of the cave woman who loses everything, this horrible, horrible loss. She then gives the miracle of life occurs. She has a baby in her hands, and then she's taken away very tragically as well. And I think looking at Jardin, Texas as a microcosm, this is one of the few places, if not one of the only places on the planet that was unaffected by the departure, at least allegedly, that the population maintained. No one left. Everyone stayed. Uh, this miracle happens there, and then by the end of it, this really horrible atrocity happens there. So it, it proves that this place is not untouchable. Um, so I think that there's a little bit of a connection there as well. Yeah, I think that's right. And I think that, you know, in the book, The Leftovers, which I read after um, our after our first season's podcast. Um, How many thumbs up? It's it's a good book. Two thumbs up. Yeah, I mean, I two out of three. Two yeah, out of three thumbs. Two up. out of three. Two out of three. Two two and a half. It uh, it is a very it is a very good book. But there are funny things in the book, like uh, like just random stuff, like uh, and the, the first season kind of gets into this. But like Anthony Bourdain is is departed on the first season of The Leftovers. He's gone. Right. Right. Uh, and. In the book, it's so much like some high, strangely high number of celebrity chefs dis- disappeared. And there are a lot of other things that are just kind of random statistical anomalies. What happened to Mario Batali? Is I, he around? I can't remember if Mario Batali made it or not. But his at least his orange Crocs, I hope. Yeah, departed. I think the orange Crocs. Well, they yeah they were just there on the ground, like he just was departed right from his shoes. But right, yeah, I don't know. But there there are things that happen that seem statistically kind of an, statistical anomalies. But this, I, I think we're getting the sense pretty quickly that Jarden is not a statistical anomaly, that there's something special about this place. And I think that as we progress into the episode even more, we see other people treating it that way. It's a national park. I mean, it is now a national park. People are taking tours there. When they get off the bus, they lift their hands skyward as though they're at some sort of religious site. Right. And I think that we should know that, you know, even though there clearly could be statistical anomalies within the departure I think that this is a special place. And I think more than anything, I think that prologue ties into that, that this is a unique place and that we're supposed to be thinking about place as much as we're thinking about people. Right. Well, I mean, you talk about the levity thing, and I feel like that was a big critique against the leftover season one, that it's so dark, it's so depressing. Can't somebody crack a joke around here? Yeah. And you really don't get that very much at all until a little bit later in the season people are starting to – feel like they're they're human again you've got the relationship between kevin and nora that's starting to pick up and there's a few you know funny lines here and there where the show is actually starting to feel uh a little more fully fleshed out a little more human uh than just you know this one aspect of humanity of just like the lowest of lows i feel like the show started the the smile on its face started increasing and i think right from the jump here in season two obviously this first episode goes to a dark place but there is light right out of the gate, you know, maybe not so much with the whole cavewoman thing, but with the Murphy family. You know, we've got we get this really great scene that establishes who all of them are. You know, we've got Michael and Evie who are who are twins, they're siblings. We've got their mother, Erica, and the three of them team up against the deep, deep sleeping John who cannot even be bothered to be woken up by like a stack of textbooks and tissues on his chest. And he just, you know, it finally falls into his arm and he kind of is like, what? What happened? And it's a really cute scene that I really would not have expected from this show given what we saw in season one, especially not in the first episode of the season. So I feel like immediately with the Murphys, the tone of the show is really taking a, a turn for a direction that I really like. I think that this whole episode tonally is doing some interesting stuff, but with that first scene with the Murphys, 
really loved that. I thought that was great. Yeah, I mean, they didn't lose anybody. You know, they they didn't they didn't know anybody. I mean, that that we know of that was departed. They didn't lose anybody from their town. Their closest friends and family that are in the town with them didn't depart. And that that's the Garveys were like that. It seemed like we we thought that about the Garveys. And of course, as we progressed throughout season one, we found out that the Garveys did, uh, in fact, lose at least one uh, something, and that uh, that the way that Mrs. Garvey reacted to it was uh, was a loss in and of itself, right? And the way Tommy reacted to it was a loss in and of itself. So the the, the in Miracle and in Jarden, things things at least on the surface were much brighter and much happier, uh, and good. You know, people didn't seem to be as upset about uh about this horrible event so their emotions are lighter and yeah i agree with you that scene of course there's a great one later with mark lynn baker uh that is purely comedic uh and really 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 funny um but but this scene i think was was also light and of course the girls swimming was was kind of fun and and silly and you know they were just kind of the 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 upbeat music was playing and it was it was not the kind of drum beat you know droning leftovers sad music it was a good scene but what's interesting about that and I want to flag this because I don't understand what happened. Are we planning our first flag? I, 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 we can plant a flag. We can plant a flag. I want to plant. plant a, a flag. I want to plant more than one flag. First, I want to plant a flag. The caveman scene. There were there was an inordinate amount of bird screeching. The bird yeah. flying over and the bird screeched like six times. Yeah. I don't know what's going on with that, but I, well, I, we got a question from Alex Kuntz on Twitter who is saying hawks, snakes, baby birds, crickets, goats. What's with the animals this time around? Seems to be a lot of animal uh, symbolism happening. Yeah, and of course there, you know, if you've got Raisa Aslan advising your show on religion, animal symbolism in religion, especially some of the pagan uh, rituals and especially some of the truly oldest religions, uh, am, animal symbolism. Symbolism is very, very, very important. So for that woman, uh, the cave woman, I'm sure were she to have any kind of spiritual beliefs, uh, they absolutely would involve snakes and birds and things that, that you know, coincide with some of what we know about our ancient um, belief systems. And so I think some of it is that. I, I think I have a different take on what the, the story about the goat and the bird were. Uh, we can get into that when we get to those points of the show. But um, the, the screeching overhead bird, I don't know what was going on there. But I, I, wanted to, I wanted to say what was really weird is, okay, so they're, they're, kind, of, um, they're kind of just like uh, they're swimming and the girls get out of the water. They put their clothes on. They say, stop scaring Dr. Goodhart. Bye, Dr. Goodhart. Bye, Dr. Goodhart. The music is playing. They're having a great time. The next scene we see, three girls in the car, complete silence. There's no music playing in the car, and it's only like a five-second scene. I don't know why it's there, but it's just like this. It's, it's, it's a stark opposite from where we just were, these girls frolicking in the water and being girls and being teenagers to riding in a car with no music on uh, and right. nobody saying anything. Well, I, something awful is going to happen to them. I, we don't know what's going to happen, but or, and maybe it's not awful, but it's going to be bad for the people that they're leaving behind, however they've left. Yeah, and, and, I, and I think that, that, I think that we're, we, we kind of see that happening, as you're pointing out right away and it's just weird because there's another scene later where they're frolicking through the forest and i don't really know when that that takes place from a timeline standpoint but we can get into that when we come when we come up to it but i i want to track these things because they are weird and the cricket is weird as well and when john wakes up and they're in the kitchen and we're having fun uh, he's bacon obsessed we get a laugh out of that if you'd make more bacon i wouldn't have to eat it off other people's plates right. and then he hears the cricket and he starts going nuts and what's going on with that cricket isn't Cricket wasn't Cricket a priest at one point in time before Cricket really fell down hard on his before luck? Before he became too rickety, uh, yeah, yeah, and, they, and he lost all his teeth. I think That's, so. Isn't that the story of the Cricket? No, I, I, wait, 
Stop. What is that? Was there stop a cricket that. somewhere around here? Wait, stop that. Is that an, is that a, like an app or is that an Antonio? That's my mouth. Shut up. Are you serious? Yeah, I'll show you in person sometime. Dude, that's a crazy cricket impression. No, stop. Stop. <laughs> Have you been, just so. been rehearsing it nonstop since you watched this episode and we started recording the podcast? No, since, since I learned I could do it. I do it all the time. I when like did to you go learn to like the salad bar at the grocery store stop. and just stand this around terrible. the salad bar and do the cricket. Oh, you're the worst person I know. <laughs> that makes me happy. No, you're the best person I know. That's that, incredible. That also I really makes like me that. happy. Yeah, yeah no, I, really uh, but yeah, there's, there's. I don't know what's going on with this cricket. What's really interesting about this is they asked Ray Aslan, uh, Vulture, uh, uh, the author uh, Lisa Liebman asked Ray Aslan, like, what's up with the cricket? And he said, what John hears is a cricket. I can't really say anything about it. <laughs> so right. It's something. It's more than just a cricket. Yeah, more going on with that cricket. You know, it seems like a real thorn in the side of John Murphy, who is really a, a very interesting guy. Uh, definitely has his own demons. He's, you know, he's been to jail before. He spent six years in change in jail for attempted murder. Uh, I love when Kevin's like, well, what happened? And he's like, well, I didn't get it quite right. Like, I didn't go, <laughs> I didn't yeah. go all the way. Yeah. I, I didn't try the, hard enough. Yeah, I did try hard enough. Because it was I, for attempted murder. Yeah, I love that. That's really good. Uh, so there's obviously, there's a lot going on there. This is a guy who burns down a house and not only walks away punishment-free, it seems like, but walks away with three thumbs up from his wife. Yeah. Uh, so, so right away... Things are very interesting with this guy, and the cricket seems like it's like the one irritant in his life. Um, and I, I don't know, I don't know what that recognizes, what 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 that represents. Um, maybe it's just you know this idea of there is this lingering thing that's that's in the house that's not bothering you too too much just yet. It's just an annoyance right now, but something's creeping. Something something big and something bad is coming your way, as we're going to find out when uh, when Ed, Eddie Winslow is going to share that news with John in a few minutes. But before we even get into any of that stuff, what's your take on the Murphys individually? Any hot takes from Antonio Mazzaro and any of these Murphys? No, we talked about how they're similar to the Garveys, uh, and I think that that's kind of important and something worth worth noting. Uh, I, I like that. Uh, I mean, I, I just, I, I mean, I do like that we've got these kind of different reactions to things that happen. So we've got uh, Michael becoming a, a kind of a religious person. He's clearly very wrapped up in the church. He goes to the National Park kind of center. He sells souvenirs, holy water from from Miracle, from Jordan. Uh, he is reading at the church. He's clearly being positioned as a potential future leader there. He's uh, all about the magical hotspot. He's a big fan of this Yeah, place. he goes outside the, the bounds of the town uh, to pray with people who are living on the outskirts. Uh, he, he feeds the the weird kind of uh, towered prophet that's sitting up there. Uh, he He's had a very interesting kind of response to living in that town. We don't get that sense from Evie yet. I don't know what her deal is or where she's at with that. She clearly plays softball, sings in the choir, seems to have a pretty normal high school girl life. Um, Goes jogging naked as you do. As you do, you know, running naked through the forest. Never a good idea, I might add. Um, there's some things that can happen there. You just Like what? What happens there? Catch a little shrapnel, you know, you don't want to, there's just some the, the, thorny bushes. Yeah, some sticks and stones, you know, you don't want to you don't want to get caught up. Let's just put no. it that way. Sure, fair enough. But yeah, there it's just I do think it's interesting how they're all kind of differently reacting because you look at you look at Michael and John is clearly not the church going type. They they mention that throughout the show. He almost never goes to church. He decides he wants to go that one day for whatever reason. Uh maybe because he's feeling a little terrified about what Eddie Winslow told him. We'll get into that. But 
he's not he's not like Michael at all. He's not like his son, but he doesn't have disdain for his son. It's not like he hates what his son is doing. It's not like he's discouraging what his son is doing. Even as so far as feeding the crazy prophet, later in the episode, John just says, you know, like, hey, lots of people other pe- feed that yeah, guy. Yeah, other people feed that guy. And yeah, then Michael's know? like, yeah, but he likes mom's cooking. Yeah, and no criticism there from John. But we also see John literally burn down a house because he feels that someone's being a charlatan and trying to profit. Uh, a local resident is trying to profit from what's going on. So John is this sort of anti-spiritual vigilante of some sort we and and it's known like the reverend knows it the reverend knows it because matt is starting this story about how since coming to the town his wife has been magically cured and the reverend cuts john off and cuts uh cuts matt off and won't let him tell the story because he knows john's not going to want to hear it is that why he does it oh i think so i absolutely think so because if you go back and watch when he cuts him off, John is like, oh, what, you know, he's looking at John, like he looks at him and, and it's all very kind of very weird what's happening there. And then later when he tells the story, I think Matt kind of picks up on it. So I definitely think it's known. I think that's what was happening for sure. Yeah. And it's crazy because this is a guy who's been to jail and he's now going around burning down houses and no one is like upset about it. Like your parole, you know, you yeah. could get you could get thrown back yeah. and everyone's just like everyone's just accepted it. It's like he has carte blanche as, as the captain of the fire department. It seems like to just do what he wants, although this is the first time that he's done it. Apparently we have Eddie Winslow asking Erica at one point, he's like, when since when has your husband been burning down people's houses? And she goes, since tonight. But she says it in a way where it's like, I'm not against it. I'm glad he burned down your house. Go to the plastic surgeon, you dummy. It is weird because when he's planning to go out and do it, when he's suiting up, he's debating with his fire bros like, hey, uh, there's going to be one, two, and he's like, five. So it's like this is not something that – I mean I don't know if they mean five yeah. alarm fire. Well, uh, the HBO recap the HBO recap on HBO.com uh, says that John is referring to Isaac. That's the Eddie Winslow character, Darius McCrary. So glad to see this man getting work. But yes. uh, the HBO.com recap says John discusses Isaac with a group of men at the fire department deeming the man, quote, unquote, a five. Uh, so what is a five? Yeah, so he has an existing scale – that they've used to determine these, I guess, a threat level assessment. Right. Uh, and they've they've labeled him the highest level threat. But that means that maybe he's never burnt down a house before, but he's clearly, this is not the first action this goon squad has taken. Right. He's got a dial. He's got like a, he's got a one through five at least. We haven't seen past five. Yeah. Uh, you said five is, is the highest level. Who knows what the highest That's level is? That's a good you point. Would, you would think that a, a sudden departure uh, of, a, of a concrete order might be on the menu yeah. and just hasn't been exercised yet. These go to 11. Yeah, this this now goes to 11. We're yeah. going to kick it up to 11. Yeah, it goes from 6 to midnight real quick. But yeah, <laughs> so we've got we've got this system that this guy has in place, and he seems to be operating with impunity, uh, you know, where he's just allowed to do whatever he wants. Well, and this seems to be kind of his job in some respects, because later in the episode when he's talking about inviting Kevin over to his birthday dinner, uh, Regina King says, hey, you're going to work on your birthday? Like work. Right. Not work like go put out a fire. Uh, work like uh, work and investigate. Like he's clearly the leader of this investigative goon squad uh, right. for spiritual what have you or trying to make determinations of why people are in Jordan and if they're abusing it or not. So is he a federal employee? Does he work for the National Park Service? I have no idea. Uh, but it seems to be kosher with everybody in town, including and especially the family. So right. I don't know. I don't know where we draw the line with this, but uh, 
it's something that is, is going to be very interesting to see how fully fleshed out it gets now that we know that's kind of his quote-unquote job. Like every line about it, every straight passing reference is going to give us more information and allow us to draw more conclusions. Yeah, no, that's interesting. I hadn't even thought about it that way when she says, "Are you work? Yeah, I can't believe you're working tonight." I kind of took it to mean that like he's just not good with strangers and or people generally. Like he's just he he seems like a guy who has a real chip on his shoulder with a lot of people. And so I thought that maybe it was like, "Oh, you're actually going to be social tonight." I thought it was more of like an aside. But the way that you uh, have framed it, I, I really like that. I think that that's right. I think that he seems to be somebody who is recognized as the point person or part of the committee of of whatever it is, of however we're vetting people who are coming into Miracle National Park. Yeah, and I think we'll probably get this. I, I don't know, and I picked up on this detail when Michael was riding his bike around. There is a prison fence, and yeah. I don't know if there's a fence built around the town, but I did notice that all the visitors, including Dr. Goodhart, including the Murphys, are wearing those yellow bracelets. Right, that Jill talks about. Yes. How, like, well, even though we bought the house, we've been told to keep these for a couple of weeks so we don't get harassed. Until the until the parks until the park rangers essentially know who we are. Is what yeah, she says. get to know our faces. Right. So this is a highly regulated town. They're living on a national park. This is not just a thing where it's it's any town where anybody could move into. Uh, they, there's a mention that real estate goes quickly, uh, and you have to know somebody to get a house or whatever. So this is a very unique place uh and john plays some role in regulating and keeping that place holy uh and uh, one of the ways he does it apparently is sniffing out people who may be capitalizing on that uh and using it for ill purposes or what he determines are ill purposes so all right so that's a that's a good leapfrog into the isaac stuff yeah. uh who is you know it, it's a childhood friend of john's played by darius mccrary eddie winslow back in business and he is going around doing like finger paintings of people he's putting people's hands in paint and stamping them on paper and then looking at it through a light table and determining what's going to happen to you in the future yeah and that that is that is what he does and i don't it's funny it's a serious superpower it's very strange yeah, very says, like, very how specific long have I known you? i didn't know you had a superpower yeah. this whole time yeah i thought that isaac mendez's uh fortune telling abilities while drawing comic book art was a little strange but at least he could you know flesh out full scenes this guy just <laughs> does handprints but what's interesting about I guess this, it's faster. Yeah, and what's really what's really interesting about it is he he's I think perceived by John to be a charlatan, but we see John not eat the pie. We see John a little scared about all that. We see John go to church, uh, and and ultimately something bad does happen. Yeah, totally. Well, it, it seems like this guy does know what's going on. Um, you know, we, we get the scene where Isaac is like, he's very pained to tell John, like, you've got a birthday coming up. Happy birthday. By the way, something awful is going to happen to you. Uh, and I just love John's response, which is like, well, shit, Isaac, that's not ideal. Yeah, that's not, <laughs> that's not ideal. Yeah, that's great. That's the new. Not great. Not great, uh, Bob. Not ideal. Not ideal, Isaac. Uh, I, I really liked that response, but you got, you get the sense from that. And from when he's in the hospital, getting glass picked out of his face, that he fully believes in the things that he's seeing, that he does not feel himself to be a fraud. And there's evidence on the show with the way that the, the episode ends, that this guy was onto something. And I think that throughout the episode, you, you know, John has to react. He kind of has to live with what he's done to this guy. And there's like this sense about him where it's like, well, is something effed up about to happen? Like the the scene where he's sticking his hand down the drain because he dropped his spoon down there. And it's like, is the trash compactor going to come on? Is he going to come out with a mangled hand? I couldn't even watch that scene. I was so nervous. Yeah. Um, so there's, you know, there's this very big sense of foreboding that's happening. 
um, stemming from that scene. I wanted to ask you about that uh, garbage disposal scene before, because otherwise I don't think we need to mention it again. Sure, sure. Did it remind you at all of when Kevin just mysteriously lost his bagel? Uh, in oh, the first right. season, in, in, he, it was an appliance that something disappeared into and he couldn't find it. Uh, I mean, I, if we're talking about John as a sort of weird analog to Kevin, um, yeah. I don't Mirror know. Mirror universe Kevin, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, is, is this, I mean, do we do we assign any kind of value to that at all? Or or was it just there to scare you like, is the garbage disposal going to bite his hand off? Well, I, I mean, listen, if we're being told that everything on this show is deliberate, then at least look into that as some sort of deliberate connection to something else. I think that that's a really interesting read. I like that. Uh, it also, it does get recovered very quickly. It doesn't become a real cross for this guy to bear the way that the bagel was a mysterious bagel for so long for yeah. Kevin for at least an episode. Yeah. Uh, and it gets picked up by his son. I think that it was it was really there just to, you know, fill you up with some dread. And I think it worked. It filled me up with tons of dread. Me I was too. having a, a real hard time watching that scene. Um but yeah, I don't I don't think that there's too much more that we need to talk about there, at least not yet. No. Uh but the but the John and Isaac stuff is interesting because these are these guys are childhood friends apparently. They've known each other since they were kids. And even so, John just like deems this guy Outlander. You know, this is a guy who is who is not here for, uh, you know, really just, um, you know, th- he has this relationship with him, but he's he's not willing to to look the other way. Like he just deems him a threat immediately. Yeah, and and I think so. Almost like he all, he had his mind made up when he walked in. Right. Uh, and I don't. You don't know. Of course, we don't see it on screen. We don't know what kind of recon he might have done about. Uh, Isaac before uh, he he kind of met him at his house. But I also got the sense, uh, the second time I watched it especially, I got the sense that Isaac kind of knew what John was. And he knew what John kind of does. And John has this pretense of saying like, oh, you know, you're going to need a secondary entrance and you're going to need to make sure you've got a a separate set of steps and whatever. He's not there for the fire code. Like, and I think Isaac knows that. And we find that out pretty quickly. But I think that, you know, what's weird about that is in the scene, in the moment, and then later, after everything bad has already happened, and his house has already been burned down, and he's already been thrown out the window, and he's already had glass in his face, Isaac says, like, you, I meant what I said to your husband. Like, you need to tell him, like, that was legit. And so, like, I, I, I mean, I guess we are, we don't have a firm answer over whether Isaac is, uh, is legit or not. Yeah, no, we, we really don't. Um, also, not for nothing, John pays the guy 60 bucks and then burns down his house. And I believe, according to HBO.com, Isaac charges 140 bucks for these things. Yeah, he the first... What a cheapskate. He's with a woman when uh, John walks in, and I believe John sees the woman paying $140. What a jerk. Hears that. So he just purposefully stiffs him and then burns his house And then down. burns his business to the ground. What a jerk. He seems like a jerk, but I also like him. I do too. It's a it's a really weird line. I think he's a really likable guy. He's very charismatic. Yeah, he's got a good like smile that's just ready, uh, just under the surface at all times. And I I do agree with you that that scene where he's like, that's not ideal. Like that's a perfect example of it. Like he takes a horrible piece of news and he just kind of uh, laughs it off. But <laughs> that's good. You know, it gets to him. You know, it, it does. Gets to him. Um, so you know, we we've talked about all of that stuff. And before before we get into John burning down the business, there's this you know little bit of uh, Evie business that we get into. We see Evie singing with the choir. We see Evie running naked through the woods. We see Evie uh, practicing her softball pitch with her dad. She tells this amazing knock-knock joke. Uh, broken pencil who? Never mind. It's pointless. Mm-hmm. I thought that was really good. First time I've heard that one. Me I don't too. Know if, Me too. Yeah, I thought that was good. I liked that a lot. But I, I feel like this episode does a really great job 
at making you fall in love with this character. I mean, Evie immediately is just a really intensely likable kid, uh, somebody who you really like, somebody who, you know, we, we complained about the youth in Leftover Season 1. I remember that vividly, that we had a lot of complaints about the youth characters, the young characters, the teenagers, the Frost twins, people like that in Season 1 of The Leftovers. And immediately these new kids that are being introduced in Season 2, they're really great. They're interesting. They're they're complicated. They're really well acted. There's just a lot of really good stuff going on with these characters and by the end of this episode, this woman is going to be gone. Uh, we don't know if she's going to come back. She's not a series regular. This actress, she's listed as a guest star. Uh, I had not seen that until after this episode. But the actress, Jasmine Savoy Brown, is listed as recurring, whereas the other Murphys are main cast. So who knows what that means? Um, but she is somebody that you're being set up to really fall for. And that's going to make the fact that she's gone by the end of this thing all the more painful. And I think that the show just did a really incredible job of painting that picture. Yeah, and you're right. We learned we learned she's epileptic. I mean, I think it. I think that when you talk about what's happening with the kids, uh, it is again important to underscore that at least within the bounds of the town, certainly maybe not an extended family, but within the bounds of the town, nobody lost anybody. So right. you know, the kids in in the leftover season one, they were full of this sort of existential nihilism. Like, oh, what does it matter? We, you know, nothing like the world could end tomorrow. Like, let's just do these horrible things. Let's get right. into these dirty apps and let's just party like every night. Like there's no Yeah, tomorrow. let's just choke each other out. Let's just choke each other out and do right. weird shit all the time. Like, right. That is not uh, – these aren't necessarily these kids. Uh, these how, kids in this town you- are different. How have you been enjoying that choke app in between seasons? The iChoke? Is that what we yeah. called it? I yeah, the iChoke. Uh, yeah. Have you been yeah. using that? I, there was one. That's an off-podcast off conversation? There was one, there was one time, uh, but yeah. only one. Um, okay, yeah. only the one. Off-podcast. But okay. actually, we did have a great question from, uh, from uh, Post Show Recap Zone, ESPN.com Zone, uh, the author of uh, Yes, It's Hot in Here and, uh, and, and How Fantasy Sports Explains the World, AJ Mass. Uh, great. And birthday boy, as we're recording It's his birthday this. right now? Yeah, it's his birthday right now happy birthday aj breaking news at aj mass give him a happy birthday shout out everybody dude libras are the best but um but yeah aj said my question is with lindelof being lindelof do you think we'll learn at some point that the daughter who quote unquote disappears into her epilepsy does not in fact have epilepsy but somehow quote unquote visits or at least claims to visit uh wherever it is that the departed have gone to oh that's interesting yeah Uh, i think that would involve evie coming back and who knows if she's going to come back um, I like that idea. I mean, Lindelof has been very adamant about, I'm not telling you where these people went. I'm not telling you why they went. That's not a mystery that we're answering on this show. So if she did have that quote unquote ability, it would have to be fairly ambiguous as to whether or not you believed it. Uh, I like the idea. I think that's a cool concept. Yeah. I mean, the other option is if they did disappear right into the earth, as it were, that they may not in fact be dead, um, that they may, they may in fact discover the cave uh, from the, the where, where the cave people died. Oh my um, God. Is that where we're going? That they could end up there. I don't know. I mean, I'm just thinking like logically speaking, if they were in the water at the time of the earthquake, that would have made some sense. It, what It is weird. I think people are debating about this on Reddit 
whether or not they were in the water at the time of the earthquake or not, because she was supposed to be home by 11. It was really weird that she wasn't home by 11. She's a good right. kid. She's never done this before. So was she, did she disappear before 11? Like, right. is it, is, or, or was it related to the earthquake? I don't think that we know that just yet. And whether or not she comes back on a couple of episodes and we get something from her point of view or not, I don't know. This, the, the way the story is going to be presented throughout the season, at least through the first three episodes, it, you kind of hinted at it. The second episode, we're going to get things from the point of view of the Garveys, probably all the way at, to the point of where we got to them in this episode and then even past it. Uh, and then we're going to get some of that uh, with in episode three. We're going to go back to Mapleton, and we're going to we're going to visit with Tommy uh, and the mother and everything that happened um, in Mapleton. Maybe after after the Garveys left, so uh, we're going to see different points of view for the first three episodes, similar to how season one did points of view episodes. So right, um, and I know Damon Lindelof has said he had a great interview with Alan Seppenwall on HitFix.com about a week ago that you and I were reading earlier today. It's a long piece. I have not finished it, but you guys, if you're looking for a really long long in-depth interview with Lindelof this is the one to seek out and he was talking about how that's really the creative process of the season uh is we want to have one two three or four absolute max POV characters per episode where you're not getting a scene in an episode unless one or two or three of those people are seeing things so we're seeing things through those people's perspectives this episode was through the Murphy's perspective next week will be the Garvey's and so on and so forth and so that's really the creative idea of the season. And Alex Wilpon had tweeted to us, Antonio, and asked us what our thoughts on that decision to make each episode from the POV of a specific subset of characters. What do we think of that? I love that idea. I think that the strongest episodes of The Leftover Season 1 came from that idea. And I think that we both agreed that the final stretch of episodes of Season 1 of The Leftovers is where the show really found its groove. And if that's where we're still rolling with Season 2, then I think we're still grooving. I agree with that uh, completely. And it, it, it isn't so much that it's one point of view from one character. Right. I like that it's like a point of view of a, of, you know, a group of smaller, smaller yeah. group of characters. I think yes. that, that rather than have an A story and a B story, like, oh, this is in one location, this is in another. I think that this works a lot better. Um, and especially if you're introducing such a new location, this was the right way to go. This premiere uh, landed on both feet and it's on the front foot. It's not defensive. It's, it's marching forward. And yeah. I think that that's great. Um, I think that that, that is that is really good. That said, they introduced a ton of questions. Um, we've covered a lot of the episode uh, chronologically, kind of jumped around, but I have some questions kind of in a lightning round here for you, Josh. Are you ready? Yeah, let's do it. Okay. So what did you think of the fact that the crazy guy in the tower wants to send a letter to Sydney, Australia? Any kind of Lindelof <laughs> lost connections there? Yeah, he really likes to play with people's heads, I feel like. You, he cannot have that possibly in his head as something that he could just put out in the universe and no one is going to be like, lost! 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 Yeah. It, 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 that is true. Uh, I, I have heard... I think I remember from season one, there's some mumblings about Australia. I think we talked about it a little bit. So I think we should try to flag anytime Australia comes up. Is it going to be a lost thing? Are we trying right. to figure out if this is in the same universe or something weird going on in Australia? Well, on, on Lost, there was, you know, I forget the name of the guy, but the person who was supposed to be able to cure Rose of her cancer yes. is from Australia. And that was supposed to be one of these magical hotspots. What if his name's David Burton? Oh, my God. That's incredible. So the, the, another thing about the guy in the tower. This is, and we're moving on here. Why do you think it is that John is ready to take out Isaac as this sort of charlatan, the spiritual charlatan? 
but he's not doing anything to the crazy guy who lives on top of a tower. <laughs> well, was the tower guy bothering anybody? I mean, was Isaac bothering anybody? Did someone well, complain about him? Well, he's stealing people's money. What's the worst thing that the tower guy is doing? Stealing people's leftovers? I mean, on he- a show like The Leftovers, that seems okay. <laughs> well done. Uh, what I would say is, like, okay, is it really stealing if they feel like they're getting something valuable in response? This goes back to Holy Wayne Wait. in season one. Wait, here's something really creepy. So I just looked up that episode of Lost, SOS, the Bernard and Rose episode. Yes. The name of the healer, yeah. guess what his name is? David Burton. No, it's not. It's Isaac oh, of interesting. Uluru. Interesting. Yeah. So how about that? Yeah, so that's, that's of course, healer. a biblical name as well. Um, of course. So there's a lot going on No, there. the name first appeared on the episode of Lost, SOS. There's never been an Isaac before. <laughs> That's where he comes from. There, there's never been and there never will. Uh, yeah. No, so I, I don't know. I don't know what's going like. But I think about Isaac like in this show, he's giving people something in exchange for money and they find it valuable. It's like Holy Wayne. Like right. does it matter if it's true or not, if they get value out of it? Like Nora clearly got a lot of value out of that hug from Holy Wayne. Like it mattered Oh, yeah. To her. Yeah, It mattered right. to her. So – you know, I, by the way, you, I've, I, since we've been off the air talking about that, you, you talked a lot about hugs. You're, you're, you're really getting kind of hug-centric. Are you thinking about what getting you talking the, about? Holy, the Holy Wayne business? Holy Wigs? Holy Wigs? Are you ready yeah, to I do, do some Holy Wigs hugs? Yeah, where I'll just give you a hug and then I'll give you a wig, but it's filled with holes. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's that's all i'm here literal, for folks very very literal yeah, um yeah. that's that's hilarious i'm a hugger people know this about me at yeah this point. okay i would hope right. so i hope you all know all this right, about me. if you don't know this about me hi i'm josh wiggler i'm a hugger i'm a hugger yeah holy hugger. hugger so uh so we're gonna we're gonna i'm just gonna i mean i really do want to uh i do want to track that i also want to ask you what's going on with the naked frolic in the forest when did that happen chronologically she was singing in the choir then right. it cut from right from there to naked running in the forest with friends that she wasn't with and then i love how you're saying this with such condemnation in your voice as though you don't go running naked through the forest regularly well not regularly i prefer no. fields um yeah. but forests are nice but forests have bugs and spiders and stuff it's no good right um, don't you actually go running with jeans on I, or you I, get chased by people who run with jeans at on? one time i was uh, jogging around a park by my house and somebody uh was was like walking very fast behind me in jeans for like four and a half miles right uh it was pa- scary <laughs> part of part of me wonders if the if the scene of evie running naked through the woods is like a callback to justin thoreau to kevin garvey running through the uh through the streets with his thoroner in his sweatpants uh and just being like yeah we know he looked pretty naked here's actual naked running yeah it's possible i don't know they weren't uh I mean, their faces, they, were, they didn't look scared, but the music was a little foreboding that was playing. They right. didn't seem to be running from something. They weren't looking behind them. They just seemed to be frolicking in the forest. And her name is Evie. I don't, there was a snake at the beginning of the episode. Right. I don't know if we're supposed to feel some Eden aspect of that. I didn't know if you had any other thoughts on that scene. Well, the, the Reza Aslan explanation of that is it's just girls romping in the woods. There's deliberate symbology there that's supposed to have the same kind of metaphoric feel that you have from the opening scene seen the idea of frolicking in the wilderness in an eden-like place it's definitely there for a reason yeah so i don't know uh where where, where we're gonna go with that uh yeah. it was really weird speaking of really weird why did erica bury that bird under the tree and how did the bird just like escape like without a problem <sighs> how was the bird alive right like i don't what's know i got going a, on there 
I got to consult with my wife, who is the bird expert. She's I'll show that scene to her, and I'll ask her what she thinks, and I'll report back on the next podcast. Yeah, see if she knows about how much oxygen a bird would need. I don't know. Are we meant to think that, that if you bury something under that tree, it comes back to life? Are we getting tied in? Is this a, a Walking Dead thing? We yeah, had but a- I don't think that the phrase is, if you love something take it captive isn't it if you love something set it free if you love something set it free uh, right. if you bury it in a box under a tree and it comes back it was meant to be I think right i don't know <laughs> and then flies away immediately because you buried it in a box underground i just like the idea that if you bury something under that tree it comes back to life this could be right. our walking dead tie and dave backer asked his jarden the woodbury of the leftovers right is this the pet cemetery is what i thought you were you were trying or it could also be pet cemetery is jarden the woodbury of the leftovers i don't know that would mean that jarden is faded uh i i hope not i hope that we're i i like jordan so far i think this is a cool place i like this place well it, so, i want to get some of that miracle tobacco <laughs> i want to yeah, know what that that's all pretty about. good uh, yeah. i wonder what strain that is um yeah. it is weird why did don't john, say the strain ever again Strigoi! Strigoi! why did john have to have his bacon on a separate plate because he's a jerk <laughs> he's a jerk that i like but he's so picky so picky and that's it that's all yeah. it is he's just that's, kind of a picky jerk yeah he's just a picky jerk that's what it he comes likes to have to. it his way he loves to have it his big way. fan of burger king yeah. uh we got the sacrifice of the goat right in the middle of the diner uh people were annoyed more than they were shocked so this seems to be a thing that happens i think the idea right is that that maybe along with the wedding dress thing along with the preservation of the pothole is meant to say that there are some people in the town who believe that maybe people didn't disappear because of certain things that they did that day. And so yeah, they're keeping again, the rituals alive. That's the Reza Aslan connection. Yeah, he says, uh, there are these things all over the city that are a little bit hard to explain. They'll get explained later. But one is this idea among many residents that they were saved because there was something special about them. So there is an attempt to constantly repeat everything they did on that day. That's actually a common occurrence among religions. On the day of the departure, Jerry suddenly appeared in the city without explanation and sacrificed a goat. And of course, people were horrified. Then the departure happened. And so now they kind of give this guy free reign. Everybody is too afraid to do anything about it. <laughs> That's pretty great. So he was yeah. just a crazy person to begin with. That now he's a crazy person that they have to just let live. Yeah. Do you think that they got his name wrong? Is his name Gary? Oh, gosh, I hope not. Yeah, Gary's the guy with the goat. Yeah, or maybe uh, so, Larry or Terry. Yeah, so I think that's what's going on with Terry and the goat. Yeah, that's okay. So that's that's good. Um, I, I guess we, uh, you know, I, I don't know. what where, What's going on with Kevin Garvey? Why does he kind of zone out when he sees that living room? Is it because it looks like his living room, his old living no, room? No, no, and that's what's cool. I think I think that that's what's cool. There's that scene where, where the Garveys come over for dinner. They come over for barbecue. I hope they eat meat. Garvey-cue. Uh, but Garvey-cue. <laughs> Playing for the hashtag there. <laughs> no, uh, right. Yeah, we've got and we have kevin in in the room in the kitchen with john and he's staring off into something first off i loved that scene because there's just like this awkwardness about these two guys these two adult men who are meeting each other for the very first time and have absolutely nothing to say to each other which i feel like is a very familiar thing to me like when i'm thrust into situations with people i've never met before have no apparent connection with i'm like i don't know what to say and the person has no idea what to say either and there's just a lot of standing around in the kitchen feeling really uncomfortable have you ever felt that before antonio or is this just me is this just unique to holy wigs uh i i don't feel that i mean i i try to find those things that are that are commonalities that's where sports comes in handy for sure yeah i know if only i had sports but you know what the new sports like i'll try to be like hey so you guys know survivor i'm, well, I'm realizing <laughs> the like, new sports no. is scripted television because i was yeah. at dinner the other night and all i could hear on either side of me both tables were talking about the bastard executioner they were talking right. about new shows that were on tv yeah uh, that tends to be my entry they, were, they really were so i was like man i could fit right into either of those right away 
Right. Uh, but I, I thought that was great because I found myself in that situation before. And I'm just like, so uh, the weather. And there, so there's this it's, it's this great scene on that level. But then you do have Kevin just like staring off into space. He's like, oh, your couch. It's great. But you know that we're going to get that scene from Kevin's perspective. And you know he's looking at Patty or some maybe it's the BFA has shown up again. You know, there's going to be something really weird that he's looking at and we'll get to see that in the next episode and i like that i think this idea of teasing things out over a couple of weeks or a couple of episodes and there's going to be some payoff to that so i like that aspect of the pov storytelling device that we're starting to see here in season two i think that's great there's obviously something really weird happened there yeah, I mean, I don't know. We're going to find that out. So that's yeah. great. How about yeah. who left the pie? What's going on there? We who did know? leave the pie? Yeah. I don't know. Uh, maybe it was Isaac's pie. It might Hand, have, handprint yeah, pie. The eye pie. Yeah, thanks for the yeah, it's a pie choke. Yeah, so I don't know what was going on with that. Uh, I also wanted to, to ask you, did you pick up – obviously, we talk about symbolism and everything that was going on in the show – in the church scene, the two biblical verses that are featured uh, on banners uh, are both about water. We got the story from uh, from Erica about the kids and the water right. in the bathroom, uh, and Evie wanted to know what would happen. So there is this really strong stuff with water. Was that something that was on your radar? Yeah, the water seems to be important. You know, it's the water, like, don't steal the water. There was the, the tub overflowing, and now the water is completely gone. Um, there's definitely something very important with that and with religion being a big theme of the show and certainly of this episode and things like baptism and everything like that. I feel like water is very much, you know, kind of a touchstone object that we're going to be coming back to. Um, I thought that was good. I really liked that. Yeah, and we've got the, the other – the only other thing that um, that I had a question about is Evie gives John a present and says it's the best present you'll ever get. Wait to open it. I don't know what it will be, but I think that that should come back up, I would think, because I don't, I don't remember ever getting a resolution on what that present was. No, we didn't, and that's going to be uncomfy. That's yes. going to be really upsetting because she's like, I don't want you to make a scene because it's the best present ever. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, you know that he's going to make a scene, and it's probably going to be – all the more powerful than it would have been if she was still around. Right, right. Um, I don't think we can leave here without talking about what we think happened to Evie and the girls. Um, is it another departure? Is it something more nefarious? You know, if and it's hard to say, like, a departure isn't nefarious, but that's like, and it's not natural, it's unnatural, but it's it's this thing that it, it can't be helped. It's a force of nature. It is It is just this thing that happens in this world or has happened at least the once where people just vanished. Um, so th there's something sort of amoral about it. It's just, it's a thing that you can't avoid if it happens. So is it something like that? Or do you think that something a little deadlier happened? Do you think that a Dr. Goodhart or somebody else in the town, did somebody do something to these girls? I think that seems more likely. Um, I I'll tell you, if it is another departure and they were only the three that departed, there was only those three that departed, that would be a little weird. Um, I think we should, I, I, what I think is, I think that these girls, there's something going on with them that we didn't really know about from this episode. Uh, this, the running through the forest scene, the, the car driving with no music playing, the fact that she told her dad she could only pitch right after her softball, but then we saw her running through the forest. She's, I, I don't think there's, I think there's more to Evie than, than meets the eye because I think we got very clearly established things from John and Michael and Erica. We didn't necessarily get that from Evie other than she's just a normal high school girl. But right. we saw some moments where she asks, uh, she asked Jill, like, is that, uh, is that, you know, did your, did your dad F a, a, a black woman or whatever? Right. Uh, she's also flirting with Dr. Goodhart in the water, kind of weird. Uh, and she's not just this, 
she's there's a little something going on with Evie is what I what I'm thinking. And so I think that the departure will be less mystical and more uh, something that, that happened. How to explain the water then? That's a good question. It was an earthquake, and I think the water did drain away uh, because of the earthquake. I think it had just happened because the fish were were still flopping around there. So I think that the earthquake did drain the water out. Where it went, I don't know. Uh, but I think that that's, that's a natural thing that happened as a result of the earthquake. So then is it possible that the girls just got swallowed up by an earthquake? It's possible. Although, again, I, I'm, I'm thinking it's more likely that, that they were gone before that. Uh, but yeah. I guess what remains to be seen. I will say Dr. Goodhart had a tent uh, right there. He was camping there. He didn't just have his samples. He was pitching a tent he had when he was a, hanging he had, out with the ladies? He had pitched a tent when, he, uh, when those ladies were swimming. So um, I don't know. I think he pitched it before that, to be perfectly honest. But I think that, okay. didn't, that didn't take the tent down. All right. Um, okay. So, yeah, anyway, uh, he was there. And I don't know. Is he creep? Is he a, is he a weirdo? Is he a murderer? Uh, it's entirely possible. Brian Goodhart. I don't know that I trust that guy. No, I don't either. I don't trust that guy. I don't Um, trust that guy. All right. I think I'm pretty much ready to wrap up, but I had one final question for you. I think it was a good one from Geek Furious. Did you see this Yeah, no, I wanted to get into this, so this is good. We're on the same page. Oh, this is a great start. On the same wavelength already. Indeed. Well, that's that's not a surprise. No, that's how we go. So Geek Furious wrote on our page, and as you can always do at postshowrecaps.com, this particular page for this episode, Geek Furious writes, So while this was an intense, beautifully executed, and brilliantly acted episode, it would seem that Lindelof and gang have introduced a ton of lost-type mysteries that they've been proudly declaring they have no plans to answer. How does that even work? Can they really continue to say, Listen, we're not going to answer the big mysteries. This is a show about how people deal with ambiguous loss. Without suffering a major backlash down the line, when they keep introducing these mysteries, they've stated they won't answer. Is Lindelof insanely brave, diving headfirst into guaranteed criticism, or is he playing fast and loose with his storytelling devices? Or is he the magician, distracting us away from the fact that he will answer these mysteries later, and he doesn't want us to spend too much time trying to answer them? Mm, I don't think that it's that. I, fe- I, I don't feel like he's playing a sleight of hand game on us, because if he does, that's a real dangerous game for Damon Lindelof to yeah, play. Yeah, right. He may have, that's, a, that's what they call hoist by your own petard. You know, I feel, is that what it's called? Well, it's, you don't call your, him a petard. If you set yourself up like that, yeah. Yeah, I, I, feel like, uh, I feel like Damon Lindelof, that would be a really dangerous game for him to play. I feel like if Damon Lindelof is coming out and telling you a thing right now, you ought to believe it, and then if he comes around and does the total opposite of what he said he's doing, that really damages Damon Lindelof's credibility, such as it exists among many people, because it doesn't uh, for a lot of people. So I feel I don't feel like that's what he's doing. I feel like when he says we're not telling you what the sudden departure is, we're not going to explain that in clear terms, we're not going to tell you where they went, we're not going to tell you why they went or how they went or any of that, I buy that at face value. Uh, I think that there are other mysteries. I think that we've just come up with a few possible explanations for what could have happened to Evie uh, in terms of could she have been swallowed up? Could she have run away? You know, there could be very concrete, tangible explanations. Um, the cave woman, is that going to connect in a thematic way or an obvious way? I think that there are ways to do that and that could still be satisfying. So I think that I don't know if it's insane, you know, insanely brave diving headfirst into guaranteed criticism. I don't know if that is what Lindelof is doing. Um, but I think that, I don't know. I, I, I feel like these mysteries are there. I'm compelled by them. The thing that I really picked up on from my lost rewatch last year was how little I cared about the questions and the answers more than I cared about just like the general weirdness of the show. So I'm already on board for that. 
I feel like if you're on board for the show expecting answers, you're in big trouble. I think that that's not the that's not the show that we're watching. I agree. I, I think it's funny that the Mark Lynn Baker thing, where he was part of this, the whole cast of Perfect Strangers departed, and then we see him in a cameo in this episode. Right. That's right. Having faked his own disappearance. Uh, <laughs> that's I funny. Think that that's an interesting answer. So yeah, it's, it's that like is. There's not always a mystical answer that's going to happen to all of these things. Sometimes it's going to be the Elkham's razor or like a very simple answer to something. Uh, hey, the guy just the guy kidnapped himself. Like he disappeared like that's what happened so i think that that is interesting that it doesn't have to be a mystical answer and i think we are going to get some answers on some of these things about jordan and miracle and and there's a lot of character questions that are going to get answered like we'll find out to some degree if not concretely like um why john tried to kill somebody and why he doesn't seem to be that upset about it right and 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 why he got into this like kind of anti-magic squad or whatever right we're gonna we are going to find out some of those answers I don't think we're going to do it. I don't think we're never going to see – if we never see Evie again, I don't think we're never going to see Evie again and not know what happened to her. I mean maybe we will, but maybe this is meant to say like, hey, you didn't experience any departures, but it can happen. And right. I, I can guide you through this because I know how it feels. Like, right, some um, sort of unexplainable loss that doesn't have to be a sudden departure. Right, right. So maybe that's what it is. I don't know. But um, but I, I, yeah, I don't know. I don't. I don't think it's pressed digitation. I don't think it's stage patter. I don't think it's uh, you know, this sort of uh, whatever you call it. Uh, this I like is, stage patter. That yeah, was good. I don't think it's sleight of hand. Like I don't stage powder. I'm I'm missing the one big term uh, about like you know distracting people by making them look at something else while you're moving the cards. But um, but the sleight I, of hand. Sleight of hand. It's not. But anyway, it's not that. I think that it's uh. I think we're going to get some answers. I don't think we're going to get all of them. We're not going to find out what the departure. We're not going to get the prestige. Happened. We're not going to get the prestige. We're not going to get the prestige. We're not going to yeah. get the end of the trick. All right. That's fine. Uh, but this is the end of the podcast. It How is. about that? It is. End, the end, of, the end of the podcast. End of week one. Solid week one. I thought that this show came back strong as hell. I loved this premiere. I thought it was really, really good. And I, I guess I, I didn't know that I expected too much. Like The Leftovers wasn't a show that I was really longing for since it's been gone. You know, it ended and I kind of moved on. There were other things to watch. You and I moved on to a big old Justified podcast after that and we had a lot of fun doing that. And I wasn't thinking of The Leftovers that much. Now I'm so hooked in again. Like I I really want to go back and rewatch the first season. Hopefully in time for next week's episode. Probably not, but I'm going to try. And I, I just, I feel like this show... When it's strong, when it's on its game, it's a really interesting show. I guess I'd kind of forgotten just how uh, emotionally powerful and how, how, how much it hooks you in when it's really firing on all cylinders. And I thought that this episode, this premiere, to, you know, I'll, I'll report back once I've gone back and, and watched some of those episodes again. But to my memory, this is one of the strongest episodes of The Leftovers, and it's you know, maybe a top three. I think that's right. I think it's probably a top three or That's top a really four. a great start for season two. Yeah, I mean, you've got the great episode where Carrie Coon goes to New York. You've got the great episode that focuses on Matt and his spiritual crisis early on in the series. Right. And you've got the Garveys at their best, and you've got Cairo. Those are all four really good episodes from season one. But you've also got this episode which is fantastic. I mean, this was better than the premiere of season one. Oh, well, that's, you know, that's not even close. The premiere of season one was, you know, it was interesting. Yes. Um, but it, it was the kind of thing where it's like, all right, I can understand if people don't want to continue on with this journey. Yeah. Um, you know, if you're already into The Leftovers and you see the season two premiere and you decide not for me anymore, that surprises me. I would love to hear from you guys why this, why this episode didn't land with you if it didn't land with you because I can't imagine that. Right. Um, so – Enlighten me if that's you. I would love. I would yeah, love to know that. Tweet at tweet at Josh. Well, no, wait. It's at Round Howard, right? Yes, that's correct. And I'm uh, at AC Mazzaro Two Z's One R. Yeah, let us know what you thought. You can also comment on our show page 
at post show recaps. It would be very interesting if you didn't love this premiere. Why didn't you love it? Because even though, oh, misdirection, even if it didn't have misdirection, like a stage trick, even if it is misdirection and it's really just going to be about the characters, are you okay with that misdirection? Are you okay being fooled and asked to focus on birds flying out of, you know, behind, buried under trees and stuff like that? If the character work is really good and if the acting is really good, are you still going to be okay with that? So I think we'll see. Yeah. Uh, I think we'll see how that goes. You keep saying misdirection, and I keep thinking of Dr. Goodhart, and I don't want to keep going down that rabbit hole, but I just felt like I had to tell somebody. Well, it's like two words. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, well, we'll con- we'll continue on with this discussion of all the misdirection that's going on <laughs> on the left Josh, and holy wigs. <laughs> holy wigs, oh, that's pretty or good. Uh, <laughs> no, 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 no. I, I like holy that. Wigs, holy hashtag holy wigs is good. Also, hashtag three thumbs up is pretty good. Yeah. So either one of those will work. So tweet that to Antonio and myself, at AC Mazzaro, at Round Howard. Make sure you're subscribed to the Leftovers podcast here on Post Show Recaps. PostShowRecaps.com slash Leftovers iTunes. Please do and that. Just yeah. What we're- yeah, if you subscribe to that now, we'll pop up on the charts. Uh, and since the show is just starting season two, we'll yeah. get new listeners. The conversation will be better. Everybody will be will Everyone wins. That. Yep. Everyone wins. That'd yep. be great. Uh, and if you're just interested in what we're doing here on Post Show Recaps, generally, you can go to PostShowRecaps.com slash iTunes and you'll be able to listen to everything. Like most shows, recap a new podcast that Antonio, myself, and Rob Cesarino are doing every week where we're talking about a different show every single week we did a little bit of leftovers chat at the end of the most recent most shows recap where we were mostly talking about the muppets but we also talked a little bit about the leftovers so if you want to hear a little bit of that you can go and find that podcast anything else antonio what else is popping up for you no that's really it we're gonna i think we're gonna talk fargo too josh you myself and jeremiah panhorse that's right so yeah we're gonna have for that yeah, we're going to have a weekly Fargo podcast coming up pretty soon. Uh, that comes back on August 12th, I want to say, October a week from today. 12th. Oct- uh, well, I'm in a different month. I've, I've gone back in time. I'm unstuck in time. October 12th. Yes, that's right. A week from today as we're recording this. Uh, so if you're a Fargo fan, look out for that. If you that's haven't be watched it, go watch it immediately. It's fantastic. Awesome. It's Sounds violent. good. It's a little violent. A little violent. A little violent. Well, if you can deal with the leftovers, you can probably deal with Fargo. Uh, no. Uh, it's no. More violent, way more violent. Oh, way more violent. Okay, well, that's exciting. That's fun. Uh, all right, guys, that's going to do it here for the Leftovers Podcast, Season 2, Episode 1, in the books. Really excited to start talking about the season in full depth. I think that this is going to be really fun. Antonio, I forgot how much I missed talking about the show. I'm so happy that we did it. Let's, yeah, let's do good. it some more. Oh, gosh. Well, okay. All right. Bye, everybody. Cheers. Baby.